Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Since we were out of this book last week, and to help us just remember the context, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 real briefly. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Here's our text today, verses 10-13. through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Father, we anticipate that day as Your people, Lord, when we will be in the new heavens and the new earth with You forever, where righteousness dwells, where there is no sin, where righteousness dwells, Your righteousness, Your perfections are there permanently forever. And Lord, we we look forward to that day, God. And Father, we know that we are pilgrims and, and sojourners and aliens in this world that's not our home, anticipating the time that we can be with You forever, Lord. Father, I I just I pray, God, that this message will, will encourage Your saints today, Lord. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys heard the heard the, the the saying? I don't know who came up with it originally. I know I've heard probably men like Ray Comfort say this and others, but live every day as if it's your last, because one day you're going to be right. And what a true statement, you know. Uh, a lot of wisdom in that statement. If, if you know, if we knew, if we knew that this was our last day on earth, I think it would change the way we lived on that day. I think it would. I think that's a good thing, but I think it's a sad thing as well because we should be living with that kind of mentality anyway. But we're human. But obviously, obviously there is a lot of wisdom in that statement because what it does, it, it gets us to think about the reality of our, our death uh, when we think of it in those terms because just like the statement says, one day you will be right. One day it will be our last. So if we can get ourselves in that kind of mentality, it would, it would affect the way we live. Um, because it is, it's, 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 getting, it's getting us, you know, it's, it's so common if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Christ, you want them to think about the reality of their death. And so we need to do that as the people of God as well. And uh, which again, thinking that way, it, it, leads, it leads us to make changes in our lives. It really does. And uh, that's really going to be the heart of the thrust of Peter's message to the people today. Of, of, of this reality of the second coming of Christ, it should affect the way we live. It really should. And we're going to see that today. Listen to what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. Really to this point, he was commenting on this, on this passage. And he says this, Christ is returning. Period. The King is on His way and almost here. He is at the door. This is all biblical language. What manner of people ought we to be? How can we sin against one, capital O, the one, how can we sin against one 
who is so close at hand. The dissolving of all things around us suggests our looking away to eternal things. The motive for holiness becomes stronger if the thought is not merely that I will die, but also that all things around me will be dissolved. It makes us look on eternal things with a more fixed eye and have a more stern resolve to live for God. I think Spurgeon, rightly so, is really summing up the passage that we're looking at today. That's what I just want to drive home at every one of your hearts today, and mine as well. That the coming of Jesus Christ should change the way we live. It should affect our life. So, that, so if you have your bulletin today, the, uh, the truth I would like you to consider today, the summary of what I'm going to be saying today is this. Jesus could return at any time, bringing final consummation. That just means final completion. Jesus could return at any time, bringing final consummation to all things. Therefore, be ready. Therefore, be ready. I like simple messages. And I think today's a simple message. Although there's some difficult passages in here, I think the wise thing to do is not get caught up in the weeds, but to understand what the writer is saying. And that's what he's saying today. So a question I have for you, it's on your bulletin as well. Considering that statement that we just looked at, Jesus could return at any time, bringing final consummation to all things, therefore we must be ready. So now I address this to you. Okay? First person. I'm speaking to myself. You need to be asking yourself this. How do I ready myself for His return? How do I ready myself for His return? Obviously, you know, because that's, right, we have a gospel tract that says, are you ready? And, and when we plead with those who do not know Christ, we want them to be ready for that day. So obviously that question would first be answered by, do you know Christ? Are you right with God? Have you repented of your sin and believed the Gospel? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Not, not simply did you repeat a prayer when you were three years old at church camp. Do you know Him? Are you following Him? Do you love Him? Those are the fruits of repentance. But this passage is speaking to the people of God. And so I'm speaking to the people of God. Guys, so it's, so it's not just about are you lost or are you saved. How do I, as, as already somebody who's already born again, how do I ready myself for His return? I don't want you guys or myself to stand before Christ, yes, saved, but, but look back and say, man, I wasted my life. I wasted my life. And, and I don't have the crowns to throw at His feet that I wish I had. So it's that kind of a message, guys. It's not a... It's not the question, how do I ready myself for his return? This is speaking to those who are born again. Okay? So let it be an encouragement to you. How do I ready myself for his return? And that's what we're going to answer in the, in the three points we have. First of all, in verse 10, the first part of verse 10, the first thing we see in point number one is this. To be to ready yourself for his return, you need to remember the suddenness of it. Remember the suddenness of His return. Okay, that's what we see in the very first phrase. The day, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And what, what was His last thoughts when we, when we talked, discussed this a couple weeks ago? The patience of the Lord, right? We, we talked about how God is, is patient. That yes, He's coming. But why hasn't He come? Yet, because He is patient. He's waiting on those elect people of His who, who have been chosen, but they haven't been called. That's, the, that's really the... When you, when you look at the theological aspect of it, it's, it's those whom God has chosen, but they haven't been called. He's waiting on all of His people to repent. In easier terms, He is waiting on sinners to repent. 
So that's what we tell people. Come to Jesus Christ. Why hasn't Christ come back? Because He's a patient God. And He's, and he's compassionate. And He's merciful. And He's waiting on you if you don't know Christ to repent and to come to Him. That's why. But, that's the very next word of verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So first of all, we just need to remember that it will happen. Yes, He's patient, but it will happen. He will return to this earth physically, visibly to all. He's patient, but He will come back. You know, it's like the, it's like the child, I think, of growing up with a brother you know, at home, close to my age. And, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting and you're arguing and you're driving mom crazy and she says, your dad's going to be home. He's coming. <laughs> he, I remember that, Jamie. <laughs> your dad's coming home. And it put the fear in me. Because I knew Dad would deal with me when he got home. You know, and maybe sometimes he didn't get home as soon as I thought. So you start thinking, well, maybe he's not coming. <laughs> oh no, he's coming. He's going to deal with you when, you get home, when he gets home. <laughs> so don't foolishly. Obviously, this would apply to those who are in rebellion towards God. But even us, as the people of God, let's don't foolishly abuse this doctrine of God's patience. Well, he's patient, so... No. As the people of God, now let's don't abuse His patience. Let's anticipate His coming. That's the message here as we're going to see. Because it will happen. First of all, we're just being reminded that it's going to happen. Acts 17.31, Paul says, because He has fixed a day. Or your version may say, appointed a day. He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. It's that day at the end. It's fixed. It's appointed. It's been decreed. It's set. And beloved, can I say to every single one of you, you will be there on that day. Every single one of us will be there on that day. Those who have already died will come out of the graves on that day. So nobody will escape that day, that final day that this passage is referring to. And again, really to the heart of the point number one, it is going to be sudden and unexpected this day. That's the language here. That's the thief language. To, to really ready ourselves for that day, we need to remember that this day is going to be sudden and unexpected. You see, the mockers that have been mocking uh, the readers here, these believers, they're liars and deceivers, guys. They're liars and deceivers. Oh, where is the promise of us coming? We hear it. We hear all of those things from our world. Where the mock or, or, or where's the promise of his coming? You guys have been saying this for two thousand years, and he hasn't come. Don't listen to them, okay? Don't listen. That's what Peter's saying. Don't be listening to the mockers. Don't listen to foolish advice. You know, it'd be like a. Uh, it would be like a. Like a child listening to the foolishness of, of his friends, giving them foolish advice. There's not consequences coming. Your dad's really not coming home later. Let's just keep doing whatever we're doing. Don't listen to that. You know who we need to listen to? We need to listen to the, the words. <laughs> and we have that privilege in the Bible. Okay, Not only, of course we know all of this is God's Word, whether it's red letter or not. But we actually have the words of Jesus Christ. The One who is going to return and judge. We have His words. That's who we need to listen to. In Matthew 24, you can turn there if you'd like. It's, I'm going to read three verses. But you know who we need to listen to? Not the mockers. Not the naysayers. Listen to Christ Himself in Matthew 24, verses 42-44. through 44. And we can obviously see that's where Peter's getting his language at here in this verse. And Paul as well, as we'll, as we'll see. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 42-44, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour 
when you do not think that He will. Those are the words we need to listen to. We need to be alert because He's going to come when we don't expect it. It's going to be sudden. And then Paul, in similar, with similar language in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 and 3, he says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. What is he saying, guys? Is the thief going to give you a call two hours before he comes? <laughs> hey, I'm coming over at 9 o'clock. I want you to be ready. No! That's the point. And this doesn't need to be fearful language for the believer. This is fearful language if you're not right with God. But even for us, guys, even for us to, 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 uh, you know, to not be ashamed that it's coming. That's the point for the believer. To, to, to invest, to make sure that we're investing our time and our life and our resources in the things that are eternal, let's not remember, or let's not forget this reality that our king's going to return and it's going to happen. He's going to do it like a thief. In verse 3, Paul says, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, he goes on to say, while they are saying peace and safety, then, and he's speaking of the world, then destruction will come on them, there's our word, suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman. Obviously, I can't identify with that. But those of you who have had children, you can probably understand that a little bit better. Um, and it says they will not escape. So it's healthy, guys. That's the point of these, these, these of going through this passage, Peter. It's, it's healthy as believers to remember the coming of our Lord, guys. It's healthy. It's reality. It's not realistic to, to forget these things. Or, or, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's not healthy to do because the reality, He is coming. He is coming and, and, it, and, it, and it's healthy for us to remember that. So we need to remember the suddenness of it. That will help us, guys. That will help us to, to remain ready in a healthy way, if that makes sense. Secondly, Another way that you can ready yourself for His return is, is that you understand not only the suddenness of it, but the finality of it. That when it happens, that's it. That's it for this, this present world we live in. And time as we know it. There's no second chances. What we've done, we've done. And we're going to be with the Lord. And so because of the passage, guys, we're going to be... Uh, this next, this next uh, section, we're going to be looking at 10b through verse 12. He really describes, he really describes what this destruction is going to be like. But guys, this is one of those passages that I don't think it's wise to get stuck in the weeds and try to figure out every little thing with how God's going to destroy the world and miss the point of the passage. So I'm going to quote John Calvin here, and I agree with what he's saying here, okay? He says this, speaking about this passage, and we'll read it here in just a second. For it was not His purpose to speak refinedly of fire and storm. In other words, really getting to the details of what this is going to be. He said, and other things, but only that He might introduce an exhortation, which He immediately adds, even that we ought to strive after newness of life. He says, mischievous, mischievous then are those interpreters who consume much labor on refined speculations. In other words, speculating how all this is going to play out. You know, What does it mean that the elements are going to burn and they argue about it for an hour and miss the, what Peter's trying to say. That's what Calvin's saying. I agree with him. He says, since the apostle applies his doctrine to godly exhortations. Does that make sense? So that's I, those are my thoughts. I agree with I agree with Calvin. But let's briefly discuss this destruction because it's in the text. So verses 10 through 12, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And here, you know, here's somewhat of a description of what it's going to be like. 
in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will, will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. So let's briefly discuss some of these elements of, uh, of God's destruction of the current creation. Okay? So verse 10 says, He's going to come like a thief in which the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. Talk about that real briefly. Because there's disagreements, guys, because everybody is really kind of speculating what exactly he's saying. But I believe he's just saying the, the, when he's talking about the heavens, not the final heavens, but the atmospheric heavens, the skies. They're going to pass away. They're going to vanish. You think, how's that going to happen? Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the idea. And it says it's going to happen with a roar. With a roar. A consistent understanding of this that I read was it's like a crackling sound of a roaring flame. When God's literally going <laughs> to destroy the present atmosphere and bring it to an end. I think Peter's getting his language maybe from Isaiah 34.4. We see similar language. And the prophets, they would be prophesying, describing uh, you know, immediate judgments coming upon Israel, but also pointing to something further. And all the hosts of heaven, this is Isaiah 34.4, and all the hosts of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And we know that it's going to be with fire, right? Up in verse 7, uh, he even talked about fire that we looked at a few weeks ago. The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. We see it again in verse 12. Because of the which the heavens will, will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So, but I don't know exactly. It's just speculation to know exactly what this is referring to. We know God's going to do it. We know it's going to be very easy for Him to do it. It seems like it's going to be sudden. And, and we're going to be protected during it all. So, let that blow your mind. I don't know what it's going to be like. But it's going to be the most... It's going to be the most... Um, magnificent thing ever that he's really he's, at, he's going to bring creation to an end as we know it and then bring in the final new creation if we can even wrap our minds around it but we'll look at that in a few moments I did want to speak to the last phrase of verse 10 in the NAS it says this and the earth and its works will be burned up now I know if you have an ESV yours says something much different and, and other versions do as well and I think, the more study I did on that, I think it's worth noting. The ESV says this, for example. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And in my reading, um, obviously men who are much smarter than me, they said that some of the oldest Greek manuscripts, this, this tended to be what it was referring to. Not that the earth, not, not, he's, not, he's not saying just that the earth will be burned up, but this, that, that all the works that are done in it by the men who live in it, it's going to be exposed. In other words, judgment. Um, another version says, we'll be laid, all of these things will be laid bare. In other words, the earth and all of man's work will appear before the judgment seat of God. So I tend to think maybe that's what it's saying. It, it reminds me of a verse like Hebrews 4.13. When the writer of Hebrews reminds his, his Jewish readers that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom all of us are going to have to give an account. Seems to be maybe, maybe that's what verse 10 is saying at the end. But then it also says the elements. The elements in verse 10 will be destroyed with intense heat. What are the elements? Again, there's speculation. I think MacArthur said the basic atomic components that make up the universe, that make up things like air and water and earth, it's going to come to an end. And then in verse 11, he's really getting to the heart of it here in verse 11 though. Look at verse 11. Since 
All these things are going to be destroyed in this way. We know there's fire involved. There's heat involved. Since all of these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's a rhetorical question. It's an obvious thing. Since all this stuff's going to happen, the Lord's returning. He's going to destroy the creation. What sort of people ought you to be? You need to be living a godly life is what he's saying. Godliness inwardly and outwardly. Remember guys, this is not our home. This is not our home. That's a good thing. You know why? Because it's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. You guys are familiar with the language that the Bible uses about we are pilgrims, we are aliens, we are sojourners, temporarily passing through. I know Paul says it, but Peter says it, and in, in, we'll just stick with Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he says to those, he, he's writing, he says to you who are chosen, to those who reside as aliens. That's real important here, guys, to remember that. We're aliens in this world, and this world, it's, it's going to all go up in flames. That's Peter's, that's what he was saying. God destroyed it the first time with water, but the second time it's being reserved for fire. And so what sort of people ought you to be knowing that this is a reality? Godliness. Holy conduct. That just means inwardly and outwardly. Our, our holy conduct should be fruits of our inward godliness, our inward reverence for the Lord. It should affect the way we live. You know, you think of Jesus' words, heaven and earth shall pass away. That's what He's saying. Not the final heaven, but He's speaking about this atmospheric heaven. The creation as we know it. He's saying, heaven and earth shall pass away, but what? My Word will not pass away. So when we think of His Word, when we think of the, the things of God, those things that are eternal, the things that you are investing in the kingdom of God, those are the things that will not pass away. Those are the things that will endure. Right? You know, we, we, I've heard it said, it's good to make investments. We need to be wise, invest our money. But if you really want to make investments, make eternal investments. With your treasure, with your time, with everything. Let's invest our lives into that which is eternal because everything else, guys, it's going up in flames. However that's going to be, I don't know. But these things of the Lord will not pass away. In 1 John 2, John speaks to these things. When he says, do not love the world or the things in the world, right? Now he's talking about the world system here, not just like the earth. Do not love the things in the world or the things in the world. Those things, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, these type of things. He says these type of things, he says the world is passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So he's getting, the heart of this passage is, is how this should affect our life. So really, it, it, it leads me to the question, guys. What should the study of eschatology do? That's what we're looking at, eschatology. The study of the end things. We're looking at that. We're getting a glimpse of that. What should it do? Have you ever had those people in your life? Maybe you've been one of them. We probably all have at one point or another. But I've had those people in my life that when I, when I look at their life, sometimes they might not even be a Christian to begin with. And if they are, they're, they're, not, they're not exercising godliness, but man, they're just fascinated with revelation. How's it all going to end, man? they got their charts laid out. That's not the point of studying the end things. The point was in Jesus' words. Are you ready? Be ready. Be on the alert. It should affect us unto godliness. It should affect our life. Over in 1 John, just a couple pages over to your right, in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, I know I've, I've came here a few times, anytime we're talking about this subject, because this is the point. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, he may, he's making the same exact point. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears... We will be like Him, 
Because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope, that's what we're talking about today, guys, as a Christian. Hope. His return is our hope. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. That's Peter's point. That this, this, these truths of the reality of His return should purify us. Oh, I want to please my Master because before I know it, He's, he's coming back. He's coming back. This is all going to be over and we're going to be in eternity. And I love Him so much. Yes, His grace has covered our sin. Our sin has washed away. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But don't you want to cast those crowns before Him and just bow at Him and hear, well done. It's nothing we've earned, guys. It's all by His grace. But because we love Him, that's the point for the believer. We love Him. And then look at, um, look at verse 12. He goes on to say, because he says, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for and hastening. That's an interesting phrase. It's, it has the idea of, of patiently waiting, but not idly. Not idly. We're patiently waiting and, and making diligent preparation for His return. In other words, we should be expecting His return. Listen to, listen to Titus 2, verse 13. Jot that down if, you want to, if you're taking notes. Titus 2, 13. He says, looking for the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Same language. Do you, do you see, guys, in the New Testament, this is a common theme. They were anticipating the return of Christ. Even in their day. They were, they were anticipating it. Beautiful. I hope you anticipate it. I hope you think about it. Just what a day that's going to be. What a, what a nightmare it's going to be if you don't know Christ. It's going to be the horror of horrors. It's going to be a disaster. Above anything we can ever imagine. But oh, for those of us who are, who are in Christ, that's what we long for. You know, if you're separated from a loved one for any length of time, you know, the news of their return should excite you, right? When you're away from your maybe your spouse or your or your children or whoever it is in your life, close friend, and you're going to be reunited, it should it should excite you and it and 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 not even and make you and make you want to please them when they get back. Trish was gone for a few days and she's coming back. I'm like, I want to get the kitchen cleaned up. Not, not to keep me out of trouble, but because I didn't want her to walk into a mess. So, it, so it's, it's, it's eagerly anticipating, but not idly. Yeah, I'm just kicking back. <laughs> so, so we want to be, we're, we're eagerly anticipating. That looking for occurs three times, guys, in verses 12 through 14. You can see it there. In our, in our verse here, looking for and hastening the coming. Verse 13, we are looking for a new heavens. It's that anticipation. In verse 14, since you look for these things that we'll look at next time. But it's not sitting idly by. And I think we, I think we can get a glimpse into that when we look at that word hastening, guys. I, I, really, I really learned something here, something new that I wasn't aware of. Uh, just the, the, of just what this language is saying. It's not just looking. It's not just eagerly anticipating. This word hastening, guys, has the idea, it can mean to speed something up. To urge on. Literally, and I'm going to... You know, you know how I tell you guys there's always a, there's always a time for balance? We're looking at the doc, you know, different doctrines and, and life in general. This is one of those times. We're going to look at two doctrines. And it's the, same, it's the same idea of the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man. Because we already looked at that His coming is fixed. It's appointed. God knows when He's coming. But at the same time, this word hasten means we literally speed it up. Yeah, stay with me. You're going, what? We speed up His return by our holy conduct and godliness. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So when we think of this, we go back to verse 9. What are we waiting on, right? God is patient, right? Why has Christ not come back? Because He's patient and He is waiting on sinners to repent. He's waiting on those elect to be called to Him to repent and come to Christ. And so it's the job of the church to preach the Gospel, to plead with sinners to repent, to pray that sinners repent. Come to Jesus Christ. See, we're His means. We're part of, the, we're part of it. That's what this word hastening is talking about. We're waiting on His people to repent. We, we pray for this day. In the New Testament church in 1 Corinthians 16.22 and John at the very end of Revelation, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We pray for Him to come. By our, by our holy conduct and life in this passage here, by being salt and light. It influences people to come to Christ. And obviously, through our evangelism, we're hastening the day. We're not sitting idly by. It's a, it's a, it's a humble uh, anticipation, a preparation as we live a godly life, as we plead with the world. And God answers our prayers and He uses our evangelism and our preaching to gather in His sheep, to gather in those who would repent. You see, we're hastening the day. We're not sitting idly by. Luke 14.23, Jesus says, Go into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. And church, do you know what's going to happen when His house is filled? He's returning. He's returning when His house is filled. And so none of this, that's why I said the balance, guys, none of this changes God's sovereignty. So there's always a... These, these truths, these parallel truths must be held in tension. We're, we're never going to understand these kind of things fully till that day. Because it is fixed. We already looked at that. His day is fixed. But at the same time, we, we hasten. It's amazing. It blows your mind. But it just tells us that God uses us. We're His means to accomplish those things that He has ordained from the beginning to the end. We preach the Gospel. We plead with people. We beg people. Right, Shiloh? We beg people. We beg them. He's being, he's being patient now, guys. Right? He's being patient. We know that. We looked at that last week. Praise God for His patience. We plead with people. We say God is patient. He's waiting on you to repent. But one day His patience is going to run out. And that day, on that day, He will come suddenly. And He will come with finality, meaning this creation's done. We're now in the eternal age. And what we've done is done. What we've done is fixed. When He brings the destruction of the old creation by fire. And then thirdly and lastly, how do I ready myself for His return? You anticipate the glory of it, church. This is where I really hope you can be encouraged. It's going to be a glorious time. Jamie, as bad as this world's going to get, we don't know. I mean, you think about most people, it's already bad. Thinking about being a Christian in China or North Korea or uh, you know, the Middle East, just living in poor conditions. This world is cursed. The creation itself groans, guys, for this day. When it can be set free from corruption and slavery. But the promise of His coming. Look at verse 13. But according to His promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Beloved, anticipate the glory of it. Meditate, meditate on these things. Think about the glory of heaven the, and the final heaven. Because when the new heavens and the new earth Come, that's that that is that is that is the that that's eternity, that's eternity, and, and he promises it's going to be glorious, just like that verse I read a while ago in uh, Titus two thirteen, looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. What a glorious day that's going to be to see Him who was pierced for our transgressions. To see Him who the world has been mocking. The One who shed His precious blood and redeemed us with His blood. To see Him coming. To see Him arrive. And to know that we're going to be with Him forever. How blessed is the thought of being in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, beloved, we're a pilgrim here. That is our home. That's our final home. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Set your heart there. And so Peter is getting this language from Isaiah, I believe. Um, and I read it earlier, but just one verse, Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I, I create new heavens and a new earth. And then in chapter 66, verse 22, For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord. John also, in Revelation, gets this language from Isaiah. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. That's exactly what we're looking at here. And not that I, I don't want to go off on like a side note, but I believe because when you read those passages in Isaiah, it can be very unclear exactly what he's talking about. But I think that's where a proper hermeneutic comes in that we interpret the old through the lens of now what's been revealed in the new. We can know what Isaiah was referring to because Peter and John clarified it a little further. And I think it's not a proper hermeneutic to do vice versa. And I think that's what some people do. Because I think the new heavens and the new earth are made real clear here. That's when everything's done. He comes back. This is it. He uncreates creation and then creates something brand new. Whatever that means. But this is that new heaven, that final state that John makes clear. There's no more death here. Listen to what Thomas Schreiner says, guys. So Thomas Schreiner, he was a uh, seminary professor at Southern Seminary. He's also taught some at Master Seminary. Because he's one of the commentaries I use. And he asked this question, I think it's important, really, really some of the stuff I was mentioning earlier. But he says this. He says, does Peter teach that the old heavens and earth will be annihilated and that God will create something brand new? Or is the idea that God will purify the old and create out of the same elements a new one? You know, it, th those, are, those are some of the things because really probably the commentators I read is, is, is kind of like half and half. Nobody knows exactly what this language is referring to. Um, we know it's going to be a brand new creation. And so... I really don't spend a lot of time worrying about that kind of stuff because I've seen people take like hard stances on this and really miss the whole point of the, of the passage. I think the better question is are you looking for and hastening that day? That's not hard to understand. That day's coming. How it all plays out, that's God's doing. He's going to burn it up somehow and recreate it. But are we... Are we looking for that day? That's the question I have for people like that. That They can really get very, very, just putting an emphasis on something that's really hard to figure out. The, the question is, are you hastening that day? Are you calling this world to repentance? That's what we need to be doing. I don't need to know about all the details. God has revealed in His Word what is revealed. No. The part that should get our evangelical Holy Spirit juices flowing is that righteousness will dwell there forever. That's what should excite us. I don't know how He's going to uncreate creation. It appears to be with fire. But I know this, that there will be no sin and no evil in, in that place at all. It will be peace. There will be no more tears. Righteousness will dwell there. Even the present creation I mentioned earlier is groaning and anticipating that day when the curse is gone. That's what should excite us, guys. I hope that excites you. Creation will be set free from its slavery. And so in closing, 
In closing, the question I would have, guys, is will you be there? Right? That's the question. Will you be there? Will you be there? Will you be in the new heavens and the new earth? That's what we should ask to our lost friends. Will you be there? For the Christian, this is your hope. Beloved, this is our hope. This is what we long for. No more sickness. No more death. No more sin. Listen to Isaiah 60, verses 19 and 20. No longer will you have the sun, S-U-N, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. And listen to this. And the days of your mourning will be over. The days of our mourning will be over one day, beloved. It reminds me of the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Blessed are those who mourn now, for you will be comforted in that day. And there's many things we mourn about. But that mourning over just over sin and over wickedness and, and even the things that accompany it, all the sickness, it's all the result of sin. I mean, why do we get sick in the first place? Because of sin. I'm not saying because of your personal sin, but sin, the curse, brought sin into the world, it brought death into the world, and we all are going to face it. The wages of sin is death. We're going to die a physical death because of the reality of sin. And of course, we know that the sinner who does not repent is going to die an eternal death because of sin. He's earned it. We've earned it. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But in that place, your days of mourning will be over. It will be over, beloved. Fine. Comfort in that. No matter what you face in this life, it is well. We're going to sing that song again in a minute. It is well. It is well. And it's going to be eternal. You know, in a, in a, in a preaching to the lost, we... We're trying to convince them that hell is going to be eternal. You don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. But I, with the same passion to you today, heaven is eternal. It's the new heavens and new earth. As bad as it may get in your life, in this life, this place is forever. There will be no more mourning. So take comfort in that. And then for the for the unsaved to just hear this warning, Revelation 21, 27, talking about the same place, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. And he says, and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. Did you know liars won't be there? You know, that's one of the things that, and I know from experience, Obviously, being born again, but when somebody's born again, they cease being a habitual liar. People who are habitual liars are not Christians. Just know that. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so that would be my last plea with the, with the sinner who does not know Christ. Why would you not come? Why would you not come to the Savior? This all-sufficient Savior who has paid your sin for your sin completely on the cross if you will come and trust Him. Your sin's been paid for. If you'll just trust Him. If you'll just yield your life to Him. Wave the white flag of surrender and, and bow to this glorious, gracious King. The same One who is coming back is the same One who came the first time. Not to condemn, but to save. And so, would you come to Him today? Would you, would you understand that He has been patient with you up to this point in your life? If you haven't come, 
and that you can come and that you can take His Word, that if you do come, He will not cast you out. Whoever comes to me, Christ says, I will never cast out. Nobody in hell, Spurgeon said, will ever be there. Um, I, I just ruined his quote. I forgot what he said. But the, the point is, is uh, all of those who come to Christ, He will not lose any. There will not be any in hell who come to Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what we tell the people, right? It's that simple. Repent today and believe the Gospel and you will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a glorious truth we have been reminded of today of Your your Son's return and the consummation of creation as we know it, time as we know it, where from that point on we will be in eternity. Everybody will. And it will be Eden recreated even better. Perfect creation where we'll be with You forever, Lord. I, I, I pray, God, that your, your saints here today, Lord, would, would just find comfort in that. As, as we suffer different trials in this life, to know that one day our mourning will be over. And we'll be with You forever. Lord, may those who don't know You come to You. Lord, may there be repentance and faith in Christ, God. Through our hastening Your day, God. May we hasten it in a faithful way, Lord, by proclaiming Your Gospel by living a godly life, not a hypocritical life, by our faithfulness and our prayers and our words and our actions. Lord, we, we anticipate the day when we can see You face to face. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.